Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I'm late. The train's asleep. Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. It's Employee of the Month with Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Welcome to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus, and I'm so um, honored to bring you this episode with um, the activist and writer Larry Kramer. He started out as a comedy writer, which we discussed, and uh, moved on to make the Tony Award-winning play The Normal Heart. Um, It's particularly poignant that our interview was recorded at Joe's Pub at the Public Theater. That's where The Normal Heart ran for years and years and years, thanks to its champion, um, the one and only Joseph Papp. And... You know, Larry has been a champion for HIV and AIDS. Um, In the movie about him, you can see on HBO, there's a film about him. And I think there's a quote in it about how he must have been an angry person. And then this became AIDS activism, particularly, and and gay rights activism became um, a channel for it. And however he came to it, I'm so grateful that he did. And you can see that for better or for worse, excuse me, that type of anger can eat at at you as a human and um, your relationships. But it was so critical in getting um, the rest of the country to pay attention to um, this horrible indignity. And by horrible indignity, I'm making a singular out of a plural. Um, It's been really painful to walk into hospitals um, and see like, God, this was this was a place where I'm getting treated decently and uh, someone who looked and talked just like me didn't because they had what was called a gay cancer. Um, And you can see more about um, this on HBO. There's two films, The Normal Heart and um, In Love and Angry, In Love and Angry, In Love and Anger, um, a biopic of Larry Kramer. And I recommend both. He would want me to plug his book and I will plug his book. Um, it's his latest book because he's done many, many, many. Um, but Larry is someone who um, tries to push buttons and force us to reevaluate um, what we believe. And I think what I love um, most about this troublemaker <laughs> um, is that he really is profound in imagining a a world the way that it might exist. We just haven't looked at it that way before. So The American People, Volume 1, Search for My Heart, is a novel in which he reveals all of these people are um, gay. And what I loved most about it was that um, he's forcing us to look through a new lens and not only the one that is most familiar. Without further ado, my one and only interview with the one and only Larry Kramer. I am unbelievably thrilled and privileged to welcome our first guest. I can say in no uncertain terms that without this uh, Obie Award-winning playwright and author um, and activist, there would be no drugs for AIDS. And it is so um, such a, a privilege to have him here. So without further ado, a friend of the public theater and um, hopefully a friend of ours as well, uh, please welcome Mr. Larry Kramer. Please give him a round wa- welcome. 
So you talk into the microphone. Press anything? No, just talk in. Can you hear me? I'm trying out my new $7,000 hearing aids. Here. It's such a drag. Don't get old. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go back in time because you're... The first film that you got credited writing the, the writing and got an Oscar nomination for Women in Love uh, was also by D.H. Lawrence. Um, the book um, was also the first um, film in England. Can you hear me at all? What? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was adjusting. Okay, good. But that was a okay, good. <laughs> um, was also the first film to show uh, male sex. Full frontal nudity. I brought, I brought a... Uh, we invented that expression for advertising. Is that right? In London, yeah. It, we had a lot of trouble getting it through the censor. And when we made the movie, England had very strict censorship rules. And uh, that was a very, a very hot scene. I, well, I brought a clip for everyone to see. Okay. <laughs> well, this is you when you were very young. Very very dapper on the set, and then we'll, sh- we'll show a clip of Women in Love that was starring Al Bates. If I didn't watch myself, I should do something silly. Why not do it? I used to do some Japanese-style wrestling once. I was never very good at it. Those things don't really interest me. Don't they? Oh, they do me. How do you start? Well, uh, you can't do much in a stuffed shirt. All right, let's strip and do it properly. Very good. Now, you come at me any way you want, and I'll try and get out of it. Admirable. You miss the climax. I well, it, I it, I wanted. To <laughs> they have orgasms. It, it's not the first time. It's not the first time. <laughs> oh, it was such, so many memories watching that. Like uh, Oliver Reed and Alan Bates. You probably never remember any of them, but they were big stars then. And uh, Oliver was very upset that. Uh, Alan was better endowed than he was. <laughs> so before the camera turned, Oliver would go in a corner and make himself bigger. <laughs> Next. Um, so your, your second film, your brother, who was uh, the founder of, of you know, Kramer 11, which is one of the largest law firms ever in the uh, world, um, Arthur, he negotiated your um, screenplay. He negotiated your next deal, and it was the biggest deal in Hollywood history for screenwriting. Do you want to reveal how much that was? It was a lot. (laughs) It's just such a terrible movie, I'm ashamed to mention it. You don't have to mention the movie. We just care about the money, really. (laughs) It it enabled me to... um, afford to be an activist when, when AIDS came along. 
that's what Ross Torres and, and the fortune I got for writing this awful script and my brother investing the money made possible. Thank God. And whoever else you, you don't pray to. Um, now, before you did that, you wrote a book, which I tried to read on the subway, and uh, it's called Faggots, and you can imagine uh, how much people were happy to see me reading this on the subway. What did you hear? Uh, mostly looks. I, I did get my own seat. I mean, that, that is definitely... <laughs> but mostly what? I got my own seat. No one, no one tried to come near me. Progress. Um, did you, I assume you knew that was going to happen when you wrote it. You never know what's going to happen when you're writing anything. Uh, I thought it was funny. I, <laughs> I, I do told too. Sarah Silverman I started out wanting to be a comedy writer. Yeah. And it's an attempt to, to uh, show the humor as well as the sadness in, in the, the gay world over a uh, long holiday weekend. And uh, I enjoyed writing it and making up jokes. <laughs> well, it ended up being so prophetic. Um, for, for well, so it turned out to be, yes. <clears throat> um, and I wanted to um, transition to, you know, why you then, um, at least at that moment, started doing activism um, was because of AIDS spreading, which was, um, we have a clip from... Uh, Dan Rather, and you're in this um, piece from CBS. Um, My getting federal health officials consider it an epidemic, yet you rarely hear a thing about it. At first, it seemed to strike only one segment of the population. Now, Barry Peterson tells us this is no longer the case. It was, it was devastating, you know. I'm, at that time, I was 29 years old. To, to be told that I had uh, cancer was just, it just turned me around. Bobby um, Campbell is fighting for his life one of a rapidly growing group whose battle has fascinated and frightened modern medicine. He has Kaposi sarcoma, a deadly skin cancer that first appeared on the bottom of his feet as spots the size of a quarter. There is a one in five chance a victim will die within the first year of the illness. It's a disease first detected in the gay community that has now spread beyond that, a disease experts are now calling a national epidemic. There are more lives claimed victims claim than, than toxic shock and Legionnaire's disease combined, and yet most of the country doesn't know about this cancer. Legion, Why? Well, I think it's because it's a gay cancer. I feel very, very lucky to, to be sitting here with you um, because I, I really feel that without you, um, getting into this. This is a statement, not a question, and I'll be done in two seconds. But w without you instigating uh, and, and um, getting people focused on this, it's so clear that we would not have had drugs for, for AIDS and HIV. So, Yes, we had to do it ourselves because no one else was doing it for us. It hit my age group first. Um, the, the kids I was with on Fire Island, for instance, the whole house died. Um, it's hard to avoid that all happening and not having to do something. And nobody was doing anything, not only in the government, but in, in the gay population. <clears throat> Everybody was uh, 
invisible until ACT UP came along, <clears throat> which was already 87. And you can imagine how many dead people there were about between 81 and 87. So I was kept busy. Well, you guys did an exceptional job um, starting with the gay men's health crisis. Now, when, um, which you helped found, and after you founded it and were working on it, you were asked to leave. Um, and you um, went to go collect yourself and... I'm just curious, you know, you've been working so hard on this thing, you're dealing with so much trauma. Why did you decide to go to Dachau, a concentration camp to, uh, you know, most people might go to Barbados. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. It's one of the things I was writing a play about, about the founding of Gay Men's Health Crisis, and I was writing it in a friend's flat in London. And something said to me, go look at Dachau. And what it provided was the knowledge that it it was opened in 1933. And I didn't think that it went back that far that that Hitler was doing all these things. And that kind of shocked me. So, but I'm unshockable now. Um, well, I'm so impressed that through all of that trauma, you ended up writing The Normal Heart, um, and we have a clip from the HBO movie, which is showing now, um, but before we, well, yeah, let's show a clip so people who haven't seen The Normal Heart can get a taste of it. You know, a kid, I think in Iowa or something, did you see that story? From a high school kid who was president of a student council and a big athlete and everything, he, uh saw the, the Normal Heart movie, and he came out because of it. And it, I, I, I sent the, uh, the story, and his mother, God love her, took it for a lad in the local paper saying how proud she was of him. Anyway, I sent it all to Michael Lombardo, who's head of, of HBO, to show him the effect that that a story can have on someone. It's an unbelievable, it was the longest running play here. Um, Joseph Papp, we're actually sitting in what used to be his office, um, uh, really was instrumental in helping bring it here. And um, Oh, Joe, I can't, so many memories just walking through the door. This place has really been a big part of my life, the public theater. Um, without them, we would not have the normal heart or Hamilton or Fun Home or, or me. <laughs> oh, my parents too. My parents helped with that too. Um, but I, the normal heart has been done over 600 times, probably a lot more than that, and won two OBs. But I'm just going to show a clip from the HBO film, which is currently on HBO. So find a, a friend with a password, um, and we'll see a, a clip from the movie. I never believed that bullshit anyway. We are in over our heads with the patients we're trying to help. Tommy, will you please read this report out loud for Ned? We have trained 25 crisis counselors to help the newly diagnosed in whatever needs that they might have. We have 12 group leaders who meet with these counselors at least once a week to go over their clients. 
There are now 17 volunteer social workers, psychologists, and or psychiatrists. We helped draw up 75 wills last... 75, Bruce! You used to be a fighter once. Did you like being in the Green Berets? Yes. I loved it. Have you completely forgotten how to fight? Don't tell me how to fight. I just fight differently than you do. I, I haven't seen your way yet. No? Bruce, Albert may be dying. No, bitch! You say another word about it! Fabulous. All happened. That letter that uh, GMHC wrote to me, we used word for word. In there, the, the rejection letter. Did you recognize Jim Parsons there? <laughs> and Joe Mantello, right? Hmm? And Joe Mantello? Joe Mantello, but Jim Parsons. More importantly, Jim Parsons. Excuse me. <laughs> Apologize. Um, you also, um, you know, your brother, the, the, the play really goes into your relationship with your brother and, and how hard it was um, to get him to accept you. Um, was there a time where you felt like he really did accept you in full? Where she really accepted me in full? Where he really got what it meant to be gay. Did you feel like in, in, you guys are so close, but I know you had a very difficult relationship at times. Oh, with my brother? Yeah. Oh, he, yes, he became quite proud of me, thank God. Um, but it was a, he was the closest thing to me. Um, a wonderful man. And uh, in those days, they thought, they could cure homosexuality by going to psychoanalysis. And so he sent me into psychoanalysis. Um, not because he felt it was awful, he just thought I would be very unhappy because of it. Um, I was unhappy about a lot of things, but about being gay, I wasn't unhappy. <laughs> Dealing with everyone else's responses to it. Um, well, um, I also wanted to ask about um, Fauci, the head of NIH. Um, did I pronounce it correctly? Hmm? Did it, he's head of one of the divisions of NIH, yes. Now, you railed against him to get drugs out, and then he ended up diagnosing you and helping to save your life. I was wondering if that changed your relationship with him. Um, or how did, how did that change your relationship with you him? You don't want to hear all this. <laughs> politics. We have a, um, a complicated relationship. Um, it's hard. We spent so much time protesting him at the same time he had put me on an experimental drug that, for my liver, which helped me get through uh, until I got a real liver, a healthy liver. Um, at the same time, he was doing and continues to do a really not very good enough job. So he, he, um, he's very kind and says there's two kinds of medicine, before Larry and after Larry, and, uh, which is a great quote, which I'm very proud of. Um, but he's still, we still don't have a cure. We still don't have enough research Congresses and 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 the director of the NIH are um, about to not give us a lot of funding that we needed, 
the numbers of infections are just skyrocketing all over the world, <clears throat> all over the world, including parts of America, but especially in Africa and Mideast and all that. And it's and class-wise here in the U.S. as well, among particularly poor black men also, it, it, the numbers are going back up. Not to depress you, but... No, they are. They are going back. I... I uh, I just can't understand why we can't all get it through our heads that sex is a loaded issue and and you are having sex with someone who may you may be killing or he may be killing you. This is why I'm not having sex with anyone. I think that there's certain responsibilities, yeah. like taking medicines, getting tested, all these things. Great part of America, the, the numbers aren't, aren't, aren't being tested. They don't know that they're positive. Yeah. And uh, that's because there's no leadership from the government in somehow reaching out and making sure that everybody is tested. There's no question that this is all because everyone thinks this is a, a gay disease. Ironically, the first, <clears throat> very first cases, no, not the first, but among the first cases were women. But that was never announced. If the New York Times in 1981, when they wrote the first article, had said, men and women were getting infected, it wouldn't be known as the gay plague. But they only announced the gay cases, so suddenly it well, was the gay plague. Well, women deserve um, their share of the blame, then. Well, um, ACT UP had a... Had, the women in ACT UP were extraordinary because they had a fight, Fauci and, and the system, to get women identified as as potential people um, so they can cover insurance yeah and pay for the meds uh, the health system in this country sucks yes indeed indeed well i want to um thank you for coming out i want to encourage people to um get your book the american people volume one it is it took you 30 years to write. It's 800 pages, which is, uh, I think, 17.3 million tweets. Um, and it is a terrific, terrific book. Um, and I really wanted to give you... Um, it's the history of... I wanted our, my people to have a history of homosexuality in America, including Alexander Hamilton, unfortunately... They seem to have left that out of the musical. Well, maybe there'll be a part two to the Broadway show. I'll, I'll tell Lynn. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, read about it here, I tell you, the real Jen. And I, because you, you, in addition to being an activist, you are also an artiste. Uh, you're a, a wonderful writer. And I got you a scarf because I felt that was very, you know, good for the theater world. Don't you guys always have scarves? You, you know turquoise is my... F I do. I went to a, to a uh, fortune teller and when I graduated from Yale in 1980, oh, 
100,000 years ago. And uh, she said, you must always wear turquoise. It will keep you healthy. So if depending on what photographs and what era of my life you see, there's a certain amount of jewelry bedecking me. Whatever. This, now we're just down to this and a few bracelets. Whatever. Well, but this will you. keep you warm. your art and for your activism and for being a wonderful, irascible, beautiful, beautiful human being. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month. Thank you to Alex Seiner. Thank you to Superfine Audio. Thanks to all of you for listening. Please go to at Katie Lazarus um, or employeeofthemonthshow.com or uh, our Facebook page to find out about more live shows so you can come to a taping. And um, otherwise, just be who you are. Be you. What if someone was like, I just can't. I just can't do it anymore. Like, I, sometimes I love how prophetic that phrase is, and at the same time, I find it so irritating. Like, oh, it's not like you go up to a James Brown impersonator and say that. That's just, maybe that person is being them, and maybe being them means that they're not always comfortable in their own skin. It's a lot of food for thought at the end of what I hope was an episode that will inspire you to um, make the most of the time we have here because that is all we get. And thank God Larry Kramer has spent that time wisely, hoping the rest of us do too. So with that, be you, even if you are a James Brown impersonator. It's fine. Be a James Brown impersonator. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon.